you being here. We hope and pray that you have a wonderful day. Thank you for coming our way. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We will meet again at 1 p.m. today. We hope that you'll have the opportunity to come back to worship with us. We're very thankful for those of you that are visiting today. Please know that we're grateful that you've come our way. We'd love to have you come back. If there's anything that we can do to answer any questions that you might have, we would certainly be more than happy to try to do so. We're very grateful for all the blessings that we enjoy in this life, and we're thankful for our young people and their desire to learn, to grow, to prepare themselves to be great leaders, not just in the community, but also in the church. And so we're thankful for those that made the trip to Nashville. Many are still gone for lads. Nancy and I had noble intentions of going and had a lot of things going on on Friday and got tied up with a number of things and was not able to go. But I was there in spirit and I know that all of our young people did a wonderful job. So we thank them for that. We're looking today at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 19 through 21, Philippians 3, 19 through 21. I'm incredibly grateful to be a citizen in this great country. With all of her flaws and blemishes, in my estimation, America is still a wonderful country to live in. You think about how richly we have blessed, historically speaking, in this great country the many material and physical blessings that are, at, that are at our disposal. It's just mind-boggling. There are people around the world today that see this country as the land of opportunity. And there's a reason for that, because it is just that, the land of opportunity. So when you think about what a great blessing it is to live in this country, to enjoy freedom, freedom unlike a lot of people in the world today. To enjoy prosperity, the lifestyle that we live in this country is far superior to many places around this world. So it's no wonder people want to come here and be a part of this country. They want to come here and to enjoy what we enjoy to experience what we experience. But let me tell you what. While it is a tremendous blessing to be a citizen in this country, it is a far greater blessing to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, to be a part of the church. With all the great blessings that we enjoy, there's just no comparison. You remember James said many years ago, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. The psalmist would say many, many years ago, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. So what we want to do today is talk about our heavenly citizenship. That is, the idea that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That being said, let's begin our study first and foremost by talking about what I believe to be a very important point, and that is the focus of a believer. 
the focus of a believer. To understand that as a child of God, and the Apostle Paul is writing to the saints in the city of Philippi. He's writing to Christians, encouraging them to rejoice in their spiritual state. The fact that they are incredibly blessed in Christ Jesus. But he talks about some of the challenges that we face as believers. As a matter of fact, in verse 19, the latter part of verse 19, Paul speaks of those who mind earthly things. So what about the challenges that we face as believers? Well, to understand that there is the danger that the world poses to us. There are the various lures of this world, and then there is the possibility of growing to love this world. Do you remember the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11, that we're not ignorant of the devices of Satan lest he gain advantage over us. The devil is very crafty, and so he uses some techniques to lure us in so that we might become worldly in our thinking. Do you remember in 1 John chapter 2, John said, Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to him, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The devil used those means to subvert Adam and Eve in the garden. When the devil preyed on the Lord Jesus Christ, as recorded by Matthew and Luke in chapter 4, the Bible tells us that the devil used those same means to try to exploit him, to undermine him. And yet Jesus, each and every time, resisted, didn't he? So there's this constant pull from the world. There is a continual pull from the emissaries of the devil, we might say. So that is a challenge. But then there's a second thought. It has to do with our citizenship as believers. Now Paul said, look, there are some who mind earthly things. It's all about the here and now. You want to ask them what their life's about? It's about acquiring more and more in this world. It's about living a self-centered, a life of personal gratification. Can we experience happiness and contentment in this life? The answer is yes. You remember Peter talked about those who would love life and see good days. It is possible to live a good life in Christ. Matter of fact, I think it is the best life. And you, and you, know, what, and you know why? Because it is the blessed life. But nonetheless... What about our citizenship as believers? Well, I mentioned a moment ago the fact that we are citizens on earth, and in our case, we are citizens in America. Paul, in the book of Acts, talks about his Roman citizenship. Paul was grateful for that citizenship and some of the privileges that it afforded him, even as an apostle. But more importantly, there is a spiritual citizenship that we have. Paul said, our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven. So really as a believer, as a child of God, 
We're like the people that the Hebrew writer talked about in the long ago. You remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer there talks about all these great people of faith. And he said they were looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. When it's all said and done, yes, we enjoy a dual citizenship. We're citizens in this country and grateful for that. But more importantly, we are citizens in the kingdom of Almighty God. We're looking for a better place. And that better place is called heaven, isn't it? So the citizenship of a believer, our mindset, our thoughts are heavenly in nature. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae? And he said, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now listen to him in verse 2. Paul said, set your mind, set your affections on things above, not on things which are upon this earth. Look at the contrast. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul's talking about those who are minding earthly things. In contrast to those who are looking at life through an eternal lens. You remember the story told by Jesus in Luke 12 about the rich farmer? The farmer had a business that was doing very well. So much so that he said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. And once I build these great barns, I'm going to store all my crops and goods. And then I'm going to settle back and take life easy. As he said, eat, drink, and be merry. So, for this man, it was all about the here and now. How many people are living like that today? And we talk about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the opportunity that we have to reflect upon His resurrection every single day as children of God. Why is it so important to think about the resurrection? Because without it, Christianity is dead in its tracks. You ever thought about that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 32... Paul talks about the significance the resurrection plays in our daily lives. He said, look, if the dead do not rise, we might as well eat and drink, he said, because tomorrow we die. In other words, if there's no resurrection, if all this stuff about the resurrection of Christ, if all that's just a fable, then you might as well live it up on this earth because let me tell you what, when this life ends, that's it. But we know that's not the case, don't we? So there is the focus of a believer. But then secondly, let's talk about the faith of a believer. How confident are you in Christ? How confident are you in your relationship to Christ? I think it's sad that many times those of us who identify as believers members of the body of Christ, Christians. It's sad that sometimes we don't have the confidence that we ought to have in the Lord. That we're really not as convicted or convinced as we ought to be. Do I believe that Jesus died and rose again? Yes, I do. Do I believe that He will come again? Yes, I do. Well, how do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. And when we talk about the Bible, we're not talking about a book that was put together by men. 
But rather, as Peter said, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This book is unparalleled. It has no equal. It is the book of all books. So what about my confidence in Christ? Well, I understand that because of my relationship to Christ, I have hope. I have hope in heaven. And not just hope in heaven, but I have a home in heaven. Do you? Do you remember the Apostle Paul in writing to Titus, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2? Said, talking about those of us who are members of the body of Christ. He said, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In 1 John 2, verse 25, John said, this is the promise that He has promised us. All right, John, what's that promise? Eternal life. So I live in hope. And the hope that I have is not this pie in the sky, hope so, maybe so, think so. But rather it is rooted in evidence. Grounded in evidence. The faith that comes by reading, studying, meditating on the truth of God. To understand as Paul did in the long ago that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's based upon that evidence that I can read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, and I can listen to Paul and hear him say, we know that if this earthly house be destroyed, that is this tent, tabernacle of human flesh, when it gives way to death, Paul said, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then that home that we call the home of the soul, didn't Jesus say in John chapter 14, He's talking to the apostles. He's already told them He's going to be departing, leaving them. They're concerned, troubled, somewhat distraught. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus said, I'll come again, that where I am, there you may be also. Now listen, the Lord said those words to inspire confidence in His apostles. And those words are applicable 2,000 years later to those of us who belong to the family of God. Do you remember the Apostle Peter said that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope? He said, we look forward to that place that is described as incorruptible, undefiled. He said, it fades not away and it is reserved, where Peter? In heaven for you. That's what we're talking about. So our confidence in Christ, but not just our confidence, but I want you to think about the coming of Christ. Now listen again to what Paul said. Our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. He's talking about the return of the Lord, isn't he? Do we have assurance that Jesus will come again? The answer, unequivocally, yes. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, when the Lord ascended to heaven, 
Do you remember as they, as they watched him leave this planet called earth and ascend into heaven, there were two angels that told the apostles what? This same Jesus who was taken up from you and went into heaven, he's going to come again. The Lord's coming. When's he coming? I don't know. Jesus said of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Do I believe that Jesus will one day come again? Yes, emphatically, yes. So I live in anticipation that Jesus will one day come again. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, there were Christians there that had lost their loved ones. They had left this world via death, and we experience death in this, in this day and time on a daily basis. Death has marred the human family, hasn't it? And you go back and you look at what happened in the garden. That door opened called death. And because of death, we say goodbye to people that we love, that we've known, that we've spent time with, people that we cherish. And yet, to understand that they've gone to be with the Lord. That is, those who have died in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So to go home and be with God. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes to reassure these Christians whose loved ones have fallen asleep in Jesus. That is, the physical body is asleep in the cemetery. But their soul, their spirit, has gone to be with God. So he talks about the second coming of Christ. He said, the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In light of that, Paul would say, therefore, since the Lord is coming, you comfort one another with these words. Every time we stand beside an open grave, we have hope because 2,000 years ago, there was an empty grave. And we have hope today. Our hope is in the risen Savior who's going to come again. Now, there is a third thing that we need to think about. We talk about our focus as a believer, our faith as believers, but what about our future? I want you to look with me and listen to what Paul says again in Philippians chapter 3. Note if you would, verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now note, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. So number one, to understand there will be a glorious transformation. What do I mean by that? The body that we possess today, 
will not be the same body on the other side. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again validating the resurrection of Christ, said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. But he said, we shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He said, the dead will be raised and we shall be changed. And this mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruption. He's talking about the body there. He's talking about that body that comes forth from the grave. The body that we possess today is a corruptible body, is it not? It is a perishable body. This body is not meant to be here forever. Now we can take all the care that we want to with regard to our physical health. And we can, we can exercise, eat right, we can do everything possible to maintain good health. And we need to do that. When it's all said and done, guess who wins? Father Time. The aging process will not be thwarted. And so, <coughs> excuse me, death will come. And what Paul is saying is God's going to transform this lowly, perishable body, this corruptible body, a body that was not made to be here forever. So there is this glorious transformation, but then there's also what I would call a glorious confirmation. What do I mean by that? You think about the body that you possess today. Now, sometimes people ask the question, what's the body going to look like on the other side when we get to heaven? I don't know. I can't tell you. I just know it's not going to be a body comprised of flesh and blood. It will be an incorruptible body. It will be an imperishable body. But when we step out onto the other side and we spend eternity in heaven, the body that we will have over there is going to be free from disease and it will be free from death. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen enough death in this world and I've seen enough sickness and illness. I've seen more hurting people in this world than I care to think about. What about you? Are there not people in our world who are crumbling on the inside? Are there not people in our world? Listen, you may be here today and you're dealing with problems associated with sickness, illness, disease. I mean, think about all the diseases that plague mankind. And yet I hear John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. John said, there shall be no more death, that God's going to wipe, wipe away every tear from their eyes. He said there's not going to be any more crying, no more sorrow. He said, neither shall there be any more pain. For these former things are wiped away. Could I ask you a personal question? When is the last time you hurt emotionally? 
When's the last time you shed tears? When's the last time you went to the cemetery and buried a loved one? I would imagine for many of us, those experiences are not just real, but they're a part of life. A part of life that we have experienced. You want a better life? You want a blessed life? You want assurance beyond this life, this veil of tears, heartaches, sorrows, and death? Let me tell you what. That better place is Christ. We live with Christ today so that one day we can live, we live for Him today so that we can live with Him in the future, don't we? Isn't that the bottom line? So that being said, do you have a heavenly citizenship? Is your home in heaven? You remember what Peter said? We have an inheritance. It's incorruptible, undefiled. It fades not away. And he said it is reserved in heaven for you. Isn't it great to think that God has your name in the book of life. And that one day, we're all going to stand before Him. Your name's going to be called. And God's going to say, He's mine, she's mine. Enter the joy prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you. If you're living for the world and your life is rooted in this world, could I just say to you very plainly, you're going to end up on the losing side of things. And you don't want to do that. So what you want to do is put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Repent of all your sins, confess His name before others, be baptized into Christ so that you might enjoy forgiveness as Peter talked about in Acts 2.38. So that you might experience salvation, Mark 16.16. 16. So that all your sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. God's going to put you in the church. And when the Lord comes as a part of His church, you'll be numbered among the saved, Ephesians 5, 23. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when the Son comes and when the end comes, He will deliver up the kingdom to God the Father. So my question to you, do you have a home in heaven? If for whatever reason you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you'd like the prayers of the church to help you get back on track, we would be more than happy. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon us. We stand and sing.